Hi, everybody. This is Christy Wolf. I am head of Kelly Dry's Cannabis Law Practice Group. Wanted to talk to you today about some warning letters that the FDA sent out just before Thanksgiving. Uh, so if you weren't looking to tryptophan uh, to uh, give you a little bit of rest over the Thanksgiving weekend, perhaps you were considering CBD and perhaps the agency wanted to make sure that you knew what you were getting into before you did that. Uh, they also updated some consumer level guidance and this has raised a number of questions about, well, was this all done to uh, sort of preemptively address the potential um, approval of a new FDA commissioner in nominee Stephen Hahn? So let's talk about all of this and what's going on. Um, and I also want to give you a heads up on a webinar that we've got coming up later this week. So the warning letters, in case you missed it. On the 25th of November, FDA issued 15 warning letters to various companies selling CBD products, making various types of claims. In part, this was a recovering of relatively old territory at this point, addressing aggressive disease claims such as kills cancer, kills tumors, causes tumors to, quote, commit suicide and stuff like that, um, opioid addiction claims, treatment of fibromyalgia and stuff like that. Uh, so, as, as those of you who've been following this area know, these are the kinds of claims that the FDA and even the FTC have addressed in numerous warning letters before. I don't think that that piece of it was a surprise to anyone who is familiar with this area. What the, but all of that said, I think there are a few things that are notable about these 15 warning letters in particular. Uh, one is the scope of products that it covers. Uh, in the past, the FDA has really focused on products labeled as dietary supplements, and many of the letters address the agency's position that CBD cannot be a dietary supplement because it was the subject of clinical investigation prior to being um, a dietary supplement. So that's dietary supplements. Let's look at what else these letters said. The letters follow a fairly consistent pattern if you look through the, the group of them. So first, they go through unapproved new drugs in, in many, if not all, instances. And the letters will cite two particular claims. For example, you know, fights insomnia and, and anxiety and depression and any number of various conditions. Diabetes will prevent you from getting diabetes and stuff like that. Uh, both with respect to products intended for use by humans but also with respect to products intended for use um, on or by pets, right? So different kinds of products uh, with different intended users. Some of the letters also address claims that I think we might think of as, as lower risk. Um, so for example, relief from aches and pains or more generalized skin irritation kinds of claims or generalized relief and recovery type of claims and um, the agency makes clear they believe that these claims too, uh, in the context in which they're used on these labels, constitute drug claims. Um, and I think that that is worth pointing out um, because although it's fair to note that I, don't, I didn't see any products that featured only those kinds of claims, um, but those are ones that I think that many companies will feel like are safe or non-drug. Um, and the agency here is directly addressing those claims in the context in which they're used on these particular products. So there are the drug claims, and then the agency gives their rationale. So with respect to unapproved new drugs, 
they comment that they're not generally recognized as safe and effective for these intended uses and that they, because of that, may not be legally introduced into interstate commerce. There are no pending FDA applications for these particular products. They then address how these many of these products are misbranded um, because they fail to bear adequate directions for use. Um, they are intended for use um, with respect to conditions that are not amenable to self-diagnosis or self-treatment. Um, and, and are also unapproved um, because they're not gener generally recognized among experts qualified by um, scientific training in the um, specific context of animal drugs to be safe and effective for animals. Uh, so a number of, of legal rationale points that are made here that we don't see necessarily in other warning letters. With respect to animal food, they then remind many of the companies that it's a prohibited act under the Food, Drug, and Cosmetic Act to introduce or deliver for introduction uh, in, into interstate commerce, of course, uh, any food, including animal food, which has a drug added to it. And then they go through and discuss the food additive regulations and the uh, requirements for grass, and again, call the recipient's attention to the fact that based on the science that they've seen to date, they don't believe that any of these ingredients um, are considered food additives or generally recognized as safe for food use in both the animal food and human food contexts. Um, in fact, they point out, consistent with some guidance that the agency released around the same time, that they have safety concerns relating to male reproductive toxicity, liver toxicity, um, and cumulative consumption and stuff like this. So really it's kind of a, um, a piling on, if you will, or a collaboration or um, an accumulation of the various concerns and points that the agency has made um, since May 31st when we had that workshop and in speeches since then to address a number of different kinds of products I reference pet products, but there are a number of food and beverage products addressed in these warning letters, along with uh, certain cosmetic products such as um, face masks and, and um, various skin creams and stuff like that. So it's something to take a look at. I don't think that it signals that the agency is changing course. Uh, many people have asked, and, and I think there may be lawyers out there who, who feel differently. I think this is the agency putting a finer point on what their position has always been, um, and maybe articulating it in a little more detail and across a wider um, breadth of products than they previously have. Now, as for why are they doing that, that's also a great question. And I think, I suspect, I don't have any you know, um, non-public knowledge, but I would not be surprised if the reason that they're doing this now is because of all of the pressure that the agency has received in recent weeks and months to clarify the pathway to market for CBD, both from industry um, and from uh, government, specifically various members of the Senate who have publicly and repeatedly called for FDA to clarify a non-drug pathway to market for CBD. And FDA's response to that has, has been, we will consider doing that once we've seen the necessary science and we know what the safe standards would be and what have you, we can't treat this ingredient uh, differently than we would treat any other ingredient. You don't get a pass just because you're popular is essentially what they have said. 
and they promised there would be an update on where they're at with this review um, in the late summer or early fall. There wasn't a big substantive update to be sure, but I wonder if we can take these warning letters as sort of an update as to, well, we've asked you repeatedly for the data. They don't feel like they have received it at this point, at least as of late November. Um, so that's the, that's the warning letters. It's also worth taking a look at FDA's updated consumer level guidance called What You Need to Know and What We're Working to Find Out About Products Containing Cannabis or Cannabis-Derived Compounds, including CBD, also released um, on November 25th. So this is, again, this is an update to some existing guidance. I think it is the agency putting a finer point on their concerns and their requests to the public with respect to CBD in particular and with regard to safety specifically. So this guidance, um, it, I think, uses stronger language to address the agency's safety concerns specifically as to liver injury, um, combined consumption, potential drug uh, side effects and drug uh, metabolism. Um, in addition to male reproductive toxicity concerns and other kinds of uh, cumulative exposure uh, risks that they think people may be overlooking because they think, well, to use the agency's words, it can't hurt to try CBD for whatever uh, medical condition may, may ail you. So again, check that document out for a little finer point on what uh, the agency is thinking currently. Of course, for those of you who may be new to FDA, you should know that guidance is just guidance. It reflects the agency's thinking. It is not law. That doesn't mean that this cannot be challenged or um, changed. In fact, you know, certainly there are companies um, and organizations right now that are working on science that is directly intended to address some of these concerns. So this, this is an area that needs to be followed closely in terms of evolving science and perhaps evolving thinking. So one other question that has come out of uh, these warning letters and the updated guidance is, well, was this an attempt by FDA staff to essentially grease the skids, knowing that the FDA commissioner nominee was undergoing his confirmation hearings over the last couple of weeks um, in the Senate? So just a little rewind for those of you who may be new to this area. When um, Commissioner Gottlieb departed earlier this year, he was replaced by an acting commissioner, Ned Sharpless. Because Ned Sharpless was never Senate confirmed, he could only remain in that position for a limited period of time. I believe it was 180 days. After 180 days, he either had to be Senate confirmed or someone else had to be nominated for that slot. So the nominee was Dr. Stephen Hahn, head of MD Anderson Cancer Center in, in Houston. And he had his confirmation hearings um, over the last couple of weeks, the subcommittee hearings and the full Senate hearing. And um, as, as you would expect, CBD came up um, in a couple of contexts, some humorous, some, some more serious, and trying to really suss out his views on the topic. So starting with the humorous, uh, Senator Pat Roberts, who if you look him up, you will see he is lacking in hair, joked about how he tried CBD to relieve his uh, knee pain from what he called football knees, and it didn't do anything for him. But he's hopeful um, that perhaps it could do something to help people who uh, need to try to regrow hair, um, poking a, a fun at himself and, and others in the room as well, 
um, as to the potential about CBD and also probably to some degree about all the claims that are that are currently out there. Um, and in, in response, Dr. Hahn responded that I think you've described very well the balance that's needed there in terms of science versus the claims and, and how we need to um, look at both. Um, and then he said that I think that there are unanswered questions that need to be filled in by data and science and research um, and added that there are signs that CBD can be an effective product and that there needs to be a clear and transparent framework for assessing um, products, certainly on the medical product side. Um, it's hard to say, and, and no one really asked his familiarity with the full scope of the CBD uh, landscape in terms of the various kinds of products that are out there, certainly given his line of work as a clinical trialist and a, and a cancer specialist. Um, you know, he's probably familiar with it to some degree, but it's hard to say if he's really familiar with what the agency is fully confronting at this point in terms of the, just the, the scope and breadth of the industry and all of the various different claims that are out there. So looking at some other comments that he made, um, he, he recognized some therapeutic potential of CBD uh, with, with regard to Epidiolex in particular, which is, of course, the FDA-approved drug um, intended for use on s specific types of intractable childhood epilepsy. Um, and he called on, um, he, he seemed supportive of further research, right? So referring to Epidiolex, uh, he said he thinks it tells us that there is a pathway for medical products and certain indications and referenced cancer and palliative care, of course, directly relating to his own practice um, as to where CBD might be of uh, value, but that there are unanswered questions that have to be filled with research. Other areas where he suggested that there needs to be more research would relate to the dosages of CBD that are best for different conditions and the implications for uh, long-term use. So similar to some of the concerns that FDA staff have referenced um, in their uh, in their warning letters. Uh, so, with, so in terms of what the interplay was, if there was any, with respect to the warning letters and the coinciding confirmation hearings of Dr. Stephen Hahn, I don't know, but I, it doesn't seem completely unthinkable to me that the two happen to have occurred um, absent any kind of coordination. Um, and it just so happens that given that he is a scientist and that FDA is a public health agency, that they are both essentially calling on um, the industry and other players to step up and, and engage in more research. Um, and it may well be, though, that he is more supportive of uh, lowering the bars to research than, than prior um, FDA leadership has been to see what we can uh, do in terms of clarifying that pathway and, and studying what CBD can or cannot do. So that's a quick update on FDA and the possible FDA commissioner uh, and confirmation hearings. Uh, please follow us at our blog as we continue to follow this ever-changing landscape at CannabisLawUpdate.com. And on Thursday, December 5th, between noon and 1 Eastern, we're actually going to offer a webinar to try to cover other areas of the law and CBD and cannabis more broadly. Um, specifically, uh, Bez Stern in our litigation group will do a cannabis 
litigation update. There's been a lot of activity there on contract issues, TCPA, false advertising. There's no shortage of material to talk about that could be its own webinar. Joe Green in our environmental group will talk about Prop 65, pesticides. EPA is, of course, looking at which pesticides can be used on cannabis. Beth Johnson in our government contracts group will talk about what you should know about cannabis legalization if you are a government contractor. And finally, Melissa Brewer in our trade section will talk about uh, cannabis and customs issues. So please tune in um, at between noon and 1 Eastern on Thursday, December 5th, and you can find the registration link on our blog at CannabisLawUpdate.com. So thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you again soon.